streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 247 podcast. As we put the finishing touches here on 2022, as the calendar set to turn over to 2023, we did a lot of forward focus on our last episode of the Lions 247 podcast, which we brought to you before the holiday weekend, breaking down uh, an hour long on signing day, the 22 players who ultimately signed with the Nittany Lions. We're going to reset focus a little bit, reset the board, talk about priorities for Penn State moving ahead toward that February signing period in just a moment with Tyler Calvaruso. He'll hop on with us. We'll take a quick look at the transfer portal, what's hooking there, and also start to set our sights on 2024 targets that are already priorities for Penn State. We've discussed this a bit, but offensive lineman uh, Cooper Cousins starting to feel a bit lonely in that 2024 Penn State recruiting class. But we begin this episode with attention on the upcoming Rose Bowl matchup. If you followed our coverage at lions247.com, you know that Mark Brennan and his daughter Grace Brennan, who has done a fantastic job for the last couple of years for us from a photo perspective, they're already out there in Los Angeles. They were ahead of the team. They were at the team hotel for the Nittany Lions arrival for Rose Bowl preparations. A bunch of exclusive coverage already up at the site lions247.com. And let's get into that conversation right now because the number eight Utah Utes, the number 11 Penn State Nittany Lions going to meet on Monday, 2 p.m. local time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. And Daniel and I will be out there in the press box along with Mark Brennan, Grace Brennan down on the field shooting photos for us. And the whole team will be out there momentarily. Daniel, you're somewhere between Christmas with your family and this trip, just like I am. I'm broadcasting from New England up in my in-laws house and, and you're down uh, in Maryland. So we are both getting on planes tomorrow morning, Wednesday, but right now kind of regrouping, gathering some thoughts and making sure people are getting excited for what figures to be one of the more prominent matchups that's taking place beyond those four exclusive company playoff uh, playoff company. Yeah, we're in that really kind of <clears throat> weird liminal space between Christmas, New Year's, our own bowl travel, post-signing day. Uh, Penn State men's basketball is still happening. There's there's a lot going on right now, but it you know it feels good to know that we're getting on the plane tomorrow. We'll be out in Southern California. Should be a little bit warmer out there, and you know we'll be able to really get to work uh, and really start previewing and, and getting ready for this matchup uh, in earnest. Yeah, well, I just took a quick look at the betting line. Hadn't really poked my head in there uh, much in the last couple of weeks. And Utah, two-and-a-half-point favorite now, Daniel. They were one-and-a-half-point favorite when the spread opened, according to Caesar Sportsbook. Um, just kind of poking our, our head through that matchup. If folks listened a couple weeks ago, you've got a really good lay of the land with Utah. Uh, we had one of their beat reporters from the 24-7 Sports Network on a couple episodes ago on this podcast. Spent about a half hour breaking them down. Uh, they're without an All-American cornerback and Clark Phillips. We know Penn State's without one and Joey Porter Jr. You've got a couple top top targets out of the matchup as well. Dalton Kincaid, a sensational tight end for Utah. Uh, he's dealing with an injury. He's going to focus on the NFL. 
Parker Washington here with Penn State. He's dealing with an injury. He's going to focus on the NFL. Oh, by the way, Parker Washington showed up at the team hotel, though, out in Los Angeles, uh, as Mark Brennan documented in their coverage. So still supporting his team. That leads me here, though, Daniel. The rash of opt-outs, unless it's waiting and looming for us in Southern California, it doesn't appear like it's going to happen for Penn State. And that's been reinforced by a couple of recent announcements. One, we, we kind of glossed over on the signing day episode, but Nick Tarburton announcing that he's going to play in the Rose Bowl, then move on to the NFL. He's not going to use that sixth year, the COVID eligibility, as we've called it. Same deal for Drew Scruggs. He's not going to use that sixth year of, of COVID eligibility that dates back to the 2020 season. He's going to play this Rose Bowl matchup. It'll be his 26th consecutive start in any Lions uniform, and then he'll move on and focus on the NFL. That surfaced over the weekend, but I got to tell you, it's been very impressive to see Penn State be able to get these out there, uh, get public. I think it's been a really good partnership between the players, the program, and the way they've handled it. And I know that we, from a media perspective, get to get to really actually have an open, honest conversations with guys like Nick and Juice now, instead of us kind of tiptoeing around what's going to happen when this game ends and kind of doing that song and dance. Now we can actually just talk to them like young adults who are about to embark on a huge moment, and I, I'm all for it. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, there's still a pretty big selection of guys that we're, we're waiting to hear from, both from the COVID year perspective, the NFL perspective. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, balls in the air, I guess, when it comes to what the 2023 Penn State roster is going to look like. But in terms of what this group is going to look like in the Rose Bowl, I mean, it seems like it's going to be very similar to what we saw in 2022. It's not like the Outback Bowl last year where that group, especially on defense was not really indicative of what we saw that that entire fall from a personnel perspective. Um, I think that Penn state is going to be pretty much uh, intact so far, um, which I think should make for a more exciting game. Uh, we talked to some of the players about it during that, that bowl media day. And the big thing that kind of came up was the leadership um, and that this was a tone that was set all the way back in August uh, in terms of finishing what you start, I think that was something that James Franklin kind of talked about. It's what the players kind of said. Um, a couple of the players also acknowledged that the Rose Bowl, um, you know, compared to the Outback Bowl, compared to some of these other bowls that you see a lot of players opting out of, that not a lot of guys, you know, want to skip out on the Rose Bowl. So I think that it, it bodes pretty well for, you know, just from a, a product standpoint, familiarity standpoint, seeing something that we saw for most of the fall and that is – you know, indicative of the body of work of this team. And I think that that's, that's pretty cool. Joey Porter Jr. is really the only, you know, true opt-out in this situation. We saw him get back for a 10, 12 snaps, whatever it was against Michigan State, kind of said goodbye to that Beaver Stadium crowd the way he was he wanted to, um, and, and moved on forward with his career. But last year, one of the more alarming things, I think, for fans and for those of us who traveled to cover the team was how things were trending. And James Franklin – was pretty firm in saying he felt like it would be an outlier year and, and he looks right the way that things are shaping up right now. But last year, it wasn't just the Jahan Dotsons and Arnold Ebiketis of the world, the guys who were considered you know top 50 level picks. It was Derek Tangelo. It was Brandon Smith. It was guys who you say, well, couldn't 60 minutes of solid action against a team like Arkansas do them some favors, certainly help the Nittany Lions come away with, with what could be a quality bull win and, and get their season finished on, on a positive note rather than the way it ended in the regular season. And for one reason or another, one guy after the next decided it made more sense for them to hit the exit door. And James Franklin, again, trying to be adamant about saying what you saw last December was an outlier. 
Uh, he even referenced Saquon Barkley playing in the Fiesta Bowl when we all knew Saquon was going to be a top 10 pick and the way they kind of massaged that situation with Saquon and his family. Um, I think Mark Brennan referenced this in the podcast. They didn't give him 40 touches in, in his farewell tour. It was a very managed load situation. It was working Miles Sanders in. And that leads me here, Daniel, and I think you want to win this game. You want to get off that losing streak against the top 10 opponents. But, of course, we're trying to marry the postseason with next season. And let's start at center because this one feels like it has some domino effects, starting with the fact that Hunter Norzad already announced he'll be back using that COVID eligibility. He'll be a six-year college player next year. We've seen a bunch of them at left guard, but barring a surprise, he's going to be that center moving into 2023. Definitely. It, it sets up very nicely for, for Hunter Norzad to slot into that spot because, you know, when you looked at <clears throat> excuse me, how things shook up, you were almost expecting to have kind of a glut of interior linemen going into next year. And, you know, we've talked about there's kind of no such thing as too much depth, um, especially the way that this game goes, the way that it's played. Um, but, you know, at a certain extent, you know, you want guys to have defined roles. Guys want to play. They want to have opportunities. Um, and I think that Hunter Norzad is going to have a, a pretty big opportunity. You know, we saw him working in as kind of that second string center, um, you know, obviously things might've looked a little differently if Nick Dawkins stayed healthy, you know, what would have his development been like, um, you know, as a backup at that center spot. But I think that you can kind of start to put the puzzle pieces together, um, a little bit. Landon Tangwall is set to come back, uh, by all indications, Sal Wormley should be back. Um, and then Hunter Norzad in the middle, and that gives you three guys that started games this year that, Played a lot of football, you know, Tangwall a little bit less, but he still started and he had a couple games where he was the guy at left guard where he took all of the reps. Um, so I think that you're starting to see what this might look like on the interior. Um, and, you know, there's no kind of glaring holes, um, which I think is is what you're what you're kind of happy with, what, you know, what bodes well for the future. You mentioned no glaring holes, but you also want to have that depth because we saw that really need to be a factor over the course of this season. And I think this is interesting for a guy like J.B. Nelson, who I've talked about. You know, if Juice Scruggs were to come back, um, does, does that maybe further encourage you to see what J.B. Nelson can do at tackle? He's a guy I'll be watching closely, and we'll get to a few things we'll be watching closely on the practice field out in Los Angeles here later in the week. But Nelson and his whereabouts and his usage is something I'm curious about exiting his first season. They were able to keep that red shirt intact for him this year. And because of how his uh, career began at the college level at Lackawanna, he's technically a fourth-year sophomore next year. And you've got a lot of eligibility with this guy. Um, but, but he was a highly rated tackle prospect coming out of the junior college level. We've seen him play extensively at guard when he was used in a couple matchups, one against Central Michigan and then later on against Indiana in, in November when they dealt with some injuries. So how does his role change? Uh, Vega Oane uh, getting involved there late in the season. He's a guy that I continue to, to be very curious about. I listed him among the five offensive players I I'm most curious about this postseason. You know, does he continue to push? And he's People keep saying he can be a starter here next year. And, of course, that involves, well, who's stepping to the sideline? Because Sal Wormley doesn't want to step to the sideline. And Landon Tengwall is coming back with a purpose and was a highly rated prospect in his own right. Uh, and ultimately, then, you're, you're factoring what Anthony Donko uh, as a guard coming in. There's there's Nick Dawkins. Can he solidify your your, your situation as a, as a center slash guard? Can he be healthy for you? Golden Israel, Achumba fits into that category. His availability has been in question during 
during his career at different points. And, and these guys are getting a little bit later into their eligibility clock. And so whereas we thought maybe Javen Williams and Alex Birchmeyer were going to be part of that conversation, Daniel, James Franklin you know, didn't shy away from the subject that those two are going to get their first looks at tackle. And by the second week of spring, one or one or both of them might be working on the inside. We don't know. By the time they get to, to blue and white, they may say that uh, Birchmeyer or Javen Williams is the future at the tackle position. So we've got a lot to learn about their status, but you have some moving parts there that could fortify you in the depth. To me, if Juice Scruggs came back, it was always going to be a major luxury for you, something that you say, wow, this kind of fell into our lap because this is a really advantageous situation as a program to have a returning captain, the vocal leader who, who wasn't always innately vocal, but had to kind of take on that role over the course of his career. So you're losing a lot of intangibles here with Juice Scruggs. And I just want to give a tip of the cap to him. I know we'll both have a chance to talk to him out in, out in Pasadena, but you cannot fault the guy for taking this chance after vlogging all these starts. No one had more snaps on the Nittany Lions roster here in 2022. And saying that and being able to follow that up a year ago when he started 13 games and, and then doing this in 2022, taking his game to another level, uh, validating his, his selection as a as a team captain, and then taking you know his NFL pedigree and his NFL prospect profile the next step over the course of this year. For a guy who was ejected from a vehicle during spring break of his freshman year, to get to the point where he's not just managing things, he's flourishing again. Uh, I just got a lot of appreciation for Juice, and I know the Penn State staff does as well. So uh, a really exciting moment for him and, and what shapes up to be very strong uh, stance for Penn State here in the postseason is he wants to get more snaps in a Penn State uniform before he does that. And, and that's why I feel like the emotional investment didn't sense it at all last year from this Penn State team. This year – it's palpable, and so I'm curious to see what kind of an energy we'll get and if Utah is going to be prepared to match it. I think when you go back to G. Scruggs, it's just a very cool story given what he went through and to be able to cap his career in the Rose Bowl. You know, it's not just him getting to go to a sunny location to end things out. It's the Rose Bowl, the chance to win 11 games, uh, the chance to put this program back where it was earlier in his career uh, when he got there, so... I think that's just a, a really cool opportunity. But yeah, I mean, the sense that we got from that bull media day and, and talking to the players and the level of excitement that there was to get out there, um, it was pretty, it was very serious. I think that the guys, you know, they want to get out there. They want to win. They know what this will mean to the program. Uh, most of the guys that we talked to were around for the past two years. So they know how bad 2020 was. They know how disappointing 2021 was. Um, and I think that it means a lot, especially to guys like Jair Brown, um, you know, guys like Sean Clifford, the players who don't have any more eligibility remaining, that this is it, that there is no decision to make. Um, I think that the, to have the opportunity to really leave things like they are right now, um, I think that that's something that is really motivating and uh, is kind of, uh, you know, instigating in terms of, this attitude, this leadership, the kind of fire, I think that that we're going to see once they get out there. And of course, toss PJ Mustafer on the under that list as well. And he's a guy who told us he is going to be personally angry if this 2022 freshman class doesn't win Big Ten championships, doesn't get into the college football playoff. And what a springboard moment this could potentially be for that group, Daniel. And out in Los Angeles, it will be our first chance to go face to face with the freshman players on Penn State's roster. <laughs> 
ask them questions and get some answers back. Um, you've got to go back to, to pre-enrollment for these guys when they were last available. You may have seen our listeners out there may have seen some some in-house uh, Penn State media stuff where they've released it through their social media channels, um, talking to their in, in-house media team. But you have not seen these guys be able to be available to the beat. One of the perks of playing in a, a New Year's Six Bowl is it's an open locker room. So that will change. And Daniel, I'm going to ask you this. What are you most, uh, I guess, intrigued by? Um, there's a lot of names. Ten guys burn red shirts. There's always a lot of curiosity about some of those other players, too. Where are you kind of uh, going to be prioritizing things? I think that you have to start with the five stars uh, and, and the guys that came in and produced the most, but are also expected to produce the most in the future. Um, Drew Aller, we heard a lot about his development vocally uh, in terms of what he was like in the huddle, his ability to be assertive, uh, to kind of, um, you know, really, I guess, find his voice there. Um, I'm curious to hear from him what that was like. You know, what's it like in last January or, or last March when you go into that huddle for the first time with the first team offense versus what is that like now, um, you know, nine months later in California? Um, you know, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, having that experience where they're in that timeshare, they're having success, um, how that is really, you know, pulling them along. And then, of course, Abdul Carter. You know, you want to hear what it was like to have this kind of, um, you know, breakout. Because these other guys, we kind of knew um, that they were going to play big roles. Abdul Carter, I think we were hearing a lot of good things, um, but you kind of wanted to wait and see it before you really believed what you were hearing. And he definitely lived up to everything that was going on behind the scenes. And so, you know, what is this like for you as a freshman to be wearing number 11, to be thrust into this role, to be getting those Micah Parsons comparisons? You know, what is that like to be 18 years old and, and kind of have all of that, you know, happening around you? I think that's something I'm really curious to hear about, you know, from Abdul. But I mean, yeah, there are, you know, more than 20 guys in this freshman class, nearly half of them burn their red shirts. A lot of them are going to be expected to be key contributors next year. You know, there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. You talk about thrust into a role. I, I would like to talk to Drew Shelton because he yes. truly was, you go through the group about you know, the guys who worked their way into the starting lineup and not to say it wasn't merit based that Drew Shelton had himself prepared. And as that number two left tackle, but he truly had to step up in a moment where the team it was teetering, you know, they had just picked up the second loss. Here's November. The schedule looks pretty good, but all of a sudden Olu's out. There's there's a lot of questions about motivation, and he's a part of that story. So I think he's a pretty fascinating figure to get in front of. And also the fact that Olu is back. And, and you know, it'd be one thing if Olu had already declared for the draft and we could say, so Drew, are you ready to settle in as the starting left tackle for this team for the next two years? Now there's a different dynamic in play, and it's like, well, Drew, you've had the taste of playing time. Where do you keep finding it? How, you know, is there another opportunity elsewhere on the offensive line? These are the kind of questions that we'll get a chance to ask and what kind of answers that well, remains to be seen, but we'll share them with everyone at lines247.com. Just a couple other guys that are kind of non, non-redshirt burn status is uh, Caden Saunders. You know, we've heard a lot from the coaching staff. Uh, he, he came in with uh, a pretty considerable rankings, figured it may take a little bit of time physically for him to get where he might need to be, but a lot of pressure on these young wide receiver unit you know he's he's a figure in there i'm curious to talk to uh and i think additionally on the other side of the football uh, you know a couple of those defensive backs well one outgoing defensive back uh cam miller played a lot of football that cornerback room's in flux i'd like to learn more about his process and then christian driver 
what's it been like for him? Why did he determine? It sounded like he made the decision. You know, we'll really get a chance to hear from Christian and say, this is why I want to be a wide receiver at Penn State. And this is what I plan to do to get there in 2023. Um, a lot coming our way out in Los Angeles. And Daniel, I'm just curious before we get to Tyler Calvaruso to, to, to talk recruiting, getting a little bit of a uh, forward focus there. Just in the next few days, Thursday, we're on the practice field. Friday, we're on the practice field. I talked about looking for certain players. J.B. Nelson was one I mentioned. What are you kind of going to be navigating out there as we get situated and get our first live look at Penn State in pads since, I suppose, pre-Thanksgiving? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that I'm going to be looking at that wide receiver group um, because Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley won't be back next year. You know, Parker isn't playing in the bowl game. You know, this is big for Keandre Lambert-Smith. This is big for Liam Clifford, Trey Wallace. What about the guys that we haven't heard much of? Um, you know, Jaden Dotton. You know, what kind of opportunities are there, you know, for Caden Saunders, for Omari Evans, um, you know, Anthony Ivey and Tyler Johnson. Those are two guys that pretty much toiled in anonymity this year. So I think that you look at this wide receiver group, um, there's going to be a lot of flux, um, especially when you factor into who's definitely leaving, who could leave, possible attrition. Um, and so I'm very curious to see who takes advantage and, and who steps up. Um, and I think also overall, as you know, something I'm going to write about <coughs> this week is that the last time Penn State was in the Rose Bowl, it was really a star-making performance for Saquon Barkley. You know, it was similar for. Chris Godwin to kind of a lesser extent, you know, for Godwin, I think it solidified him as an NFL talent, but you know, I'm, and even Sam Darnold for USC, you know, it really elevated him. So I'm curious to see who on Penn state can kind of take that tier from like going from like an all big 10 player to an all American to be going from second, third team, all American to a first team, all American in terms of exposure expectations, this is that type of platform. This is that type of stage. Um, so I think that's something else that over these next couple of days and, you know, when we get to the actual game, and I'm really curious and excited to see. You mentioned that that platform, and the last time we saw Penn State in a New Year's Six setting, Micah Parsons, finishing off his sophomore season, said, yeah, I'm going to be in every kind of award conversation they'll have in 2020. Of course, didn't happen. He didn't play again for Penn State. And unfortunately, same goes for Journey Brown. But the way he finished that thing off in the bowl game, setting Penn State records against Memphis. I mean, people thought he might just say five games as a starter was enough. I'm off to the NFL. Um, that that platform is very real, and, and I'm with you. There's a lot of guys that you could say um, from this freshman class alone, uh, you know, setting themselves up very nicely. And when you factor in what the NIL can do for you these days, potentially, that kind of buzz goes a long way between the months of January and the next time you're putting on pads in March and, and you, you can do some things for yourself and, and your team can help you get some get some really nice opportunities. Uh, just a few injuries I wanted to say that, that will be you know, probably one of the first things we'll be checking for out at practice if we see this team out there and lining up. Olu Fashionu it, it, you know, and Caden Wallace, are they back in uniform and staying around watching or are they back in uniform and repping and pushing defensive linemen? Um, same goes for Kevon Lee a guy that's been really out of sight for us for a long time now. They've been doing it with the two freshman running backs uh, for a long time, but Kevon Lee, uh, there's optimism that he can get involved here. don't know what lies beyond the Rose Bowl for him, but that's another guy we'll be watching closely. Um, and you kind of can go across the board here and, and, and pick and choose and just checking on the health status of different kind, different players going into this one. But Daniel, we'll get to do it. Uh, we'll be out there in, in, in 24 hours or so uh, and – 
and it's underway. We're happy to get out there, and it's going to be a pretty deep group uh, with Lions 24-7. So I'll catch you out in Los Angeles, Daniel. Um, enjoy the rest of your time back home. Travel safe tomorrow, Tyler, and I'll see you in uh, hopefully southern, su- sunny Southern California. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hopefully our luggage makes it there as well. Uh, the Brennans had a bit of an issue with that. I know there's a lot of weary travelers right now, so uh, hopefully – we are in good shape. And one man who will be handling business back here on the East Coast is Tyler Calvaruzzo. Tyler, uh, sorry we didn't get you out there. It's your fault, though. I think you need to get the, the 24-7 management a list of, like, 10 high-caliber Los Angeles, Orange County uh, area athletes and say, these are guys that are important to Penn State. You need me. Hey, th- next time, maybe. You know what I should have done? I should have just sent them the next prep roster for, like, St. John Bosco in modern day. I'm sure that, w- sure that would have went over really well. That would have been the main selling point right there. Yeah, there's always guys out there to watch. But, hey, we appreciate what you've been doing on the recruiting trail. Uh, hopefully folks caught our signing day special last Wednesday coming to you after Penn State sealed the deal with 22 different prospects. Uh, we went through all of them. We sorted through some of those positional conversations. Um, we're not going to rehash all of that right now, although we'll be getting to a bunch of those 2023 signees in the months to come as they arrive on campus, and we'll have some of them on this podcast as well. But one of those names that was hanging in the air a little bit last time we spoke with you, Tyler Calvaruso, was Conrad Hussey. Everyone knows by now, uh, second day of the early signing period that Thursday, he did indeed announce and sign going to Florida State. That was your anticipation as, as Wednesday was coming to a close. So not much of a surprise there. Any final thoughts as we officially close the book on a recruit that I don't know if you ever thought you'd be covering him in that kind of detail for those 72 to 96 hours. I didn't because, you know, like I, I know he took visits throughout the summer to the Florida schools and everything like that, but it never really seemed like there was going to get to the point where he would move off his Penn State commitment. But as his process went on, you just start to see more and more voices get in the ear of Conrad Hussey, local voices, family voices, getting in his ear and saying, hey, look, you know, staying home might not be a bad bet for you. And that's obviously what he ultimately decided to do. You can never really fault a kid for wanting to stay home. You know, his recruitment at the end, it was really crazy. He was changing by the hour. Uh, I feel like, you know, at one point, wouldn't be surprised if he wound up in a place like Colorado. It was just the way the craziness that things were going. It was, it was a lot of moving parts, man. And Penn State, kind of a – I don't know, how would you put it? It, it? it was a disappointing way to end the National Signing Day saga, I would say, just because they really liked Hussey, and, you know, he was close with King Mac, and you want to get guys from programs like St. Thomas Aquinas. The talent level speaks for itself. But it was still a strong end to the cycle. The sky's not falling. You win some, you lose some in recruiting. Penn State won plenty this cycle. It lost Hussey at the end. It's kind of one of those things. You just got to chalk it up. It is what it is. Keep moving forward. Still work to do to close out the 2023 cycle. And now a lot of eyes on 2024. That's right. And for the longest time, Kavion Keys, a lot of Penn State fans saying, yeah, he's committed elsewhere, but maybe he ends up in this class and that comes to fruition. At the same time, you're thinking, yeah, Conrad Hussey is committed here. But you know, yeah. I think there was some people bracing for this one for a while, just like I'm sure people were, were kind of anticipating that Kavion Keys might make that splash move and jump into Penn State's class. Um, so that's kind of leaves them with, with, with just kind of settling things on the board uh, at defensive back. Um, and by the way, a, a transfer target off the, off the board as well, right after we finished recording last episode. We'll get to that in a second. <sighs> uh, but you've got a couple safeties, King Mack. 
um, Takari Nelson. Both of those are going to be uh, you know, top 24-7 talents joining your program. Nelson's super compelling with that 6-3 frame. Uh, and then, of course, with, with King Mac, elite level speed as well. So nice blend that you're getting at safety. At, at, at cornerback, it's Zion Tracy, who, as we wrote about this past week, there's, there's still some discussion with this Penn State staff about maybe him being a better fit at receiver long term. They want to sort through that. Terry Smith wants to keep him in this cornerback room. Uh, and then you're bringing in Lamont Wade, who is kind of right now in that tweener situation uh, between those two spots. And, of course, Tyler Cavaruzzo. I'm forgetting uh, the other cornerback here that, that's paired up with Zion Tracy because there's so many names. Elliot Washington, how could I forget that? Uh, another top 24-7 talent. So with all that said, five guys incoming. You're losing Joey Porter Jr., Johnny Dixon technically has that senior status. He's got COVID eligibility. Uh, Marquise Wilson falls into the same boat. So we may see more cornerbacks lead this roster. Uh, we may see other defensive backs lead this roster. Jair Brown's gone. Keaton Ellis has that senior eligibility. What else do you think as Penn State surveys other pickups for the 2023 roster? We still looking at defensive back as a priority? I think they're definitely still, you know, if the right fit, is available to them. I think they'll pursue it, but they really love the group they have right there. All those guys you listed, Penn State's really high on them. A guy like Elliot Washington has a chance to play early. King Mack has a mm -hmm. chance to be a big time contributor. So again, they're looking through the portal. You know, we talked about Gavin Holmes last time, who, you know, national signing day craziness. I completely forgot that he committed to Texas. So he's off the board, guys. He, he won't be visiting Penn State in January. So you could scratch that. But yeah, they're, uh, they're kicking the tires on some portal guys. We'll see what comes about there. High school ranks, you know, Roger Pleasant's still a name to know. Still think he's going to stay out west. I'm not really sure anything's going to happen there for Penn State. But very happy the staff is with the current hall. They can, they're not complaining at all with the group they have. They see guys who really have a chance to contribute early and often. Uh, we, we don't have a ton coming out of Christmas weekend on, on the transfer portal. It wasn't, uh, you know, a bunch of players at different yeah. campuses and all that stuff. Um, but but where are we right now? I, I'm checking out 24-7 Sports updated post-holiday uh, rankings, and they've got Dante Cephas, a familiar name for us, at number four in those rankings. Uh, that continues to change every day. We saw another big addition in the quarterback group at, at transfer uh, in the transfer market here on a Tuesday. It could change day-to-day, -day, yeah. but Penn State, the portal – Anything heating up because people are starting to get antsy if you had not noticed. I still think it's a matter of, you know, Cephas has to just deal with those academic things, you know, the clearinghouse and everything like that, getting him on board in that regard. I think Penn State likes his chances there if that could happen for them. You know, the rece receiver, we keep talking about wide receiver being such an emphasis through the portal. Taylor Stubblefield talked a little bit about that. They do want to add there. Cephas is a guy they would really love to have. The Dante Thorntons of the world. You know, Jimmy Horn is off the board to Colorado now. That hadn't been a name we discussed in a little bit, but he's he's no longer in the mix. Devin Carter from NC State. Devin Carter's a guy I really like. We touched about we touched on him, I think, a little bit briefly on our signing day show. Really big-bodied guy who knows how to stretch the field well. And what I mean by that is high points the ball well, good body control downfield. Not just a big body, but a big body who knows how to go up and get it effectively. And he's dealt with some injuries this past season, but he came back at the end of the year and he really lit up North Carolina. And I know people are probably listening thinking, well, who didn't light up North Carolina this year? But Carter got the job done, and he's shown that throughout his, his last two years at NC State that he could do that. He's a guy who has a chance to make it to campus in January. He's a name I'd be keeping an eye on, a real close eye on at this point, just because there's the intrigue there for sure. And he would add a new element to Penn State's wide receiver room.
it's just it's such an opportunity i feel like for a transfer prospect when you look at really the 60 plus, 60 plus percent volume void that is leaving with parker washington leaving with mitchell tinsley and then you navigate and say who am i competing against i mean largely 90 80 percent of this group hasn't you know run a bunch of routes against yeah. big 10 opponents uh a lot of these guys are you know maybe there's some breakout candidates but no one's out there uh you know the major track record to their name so it feels like a great opportunity at the same time it's a it's kind of a weird dynamic where we're all talking about penn state being an ascending program their offense anyone who follows this team can tell you their offense is in a tremendously better spot than it was at this point last year and that is just across the board but you point to just the box score, just the box score receiver. Last year, you got Jahan Dotson, huge numbers. Obviously, he's off to the NFL as a first-round pick. You point to just the box score. Parker Washington, some of the more impressive numbers you'll find for another number uh, number two wide receiver across the Big Ten. And then Keandre Lambert-Smith even, some of the most impressive number three wide receiver numbers you'll find across the Big Ten. Wide receivers' numbers take a dip because your tight end, that room bounces back in a big yeah. way. You get balanced there. All of a sudden, you can run the ball with some authority. You're racking up touchdowns. You're racking up yards there. So it's a little bit of a juxtaposed thing that I wonder how Penn State's managing in their sales pitch because obviously guys are going to say, well, let me see what the receivers did this year, this fall. Parker Washington fell short of, I think, 650 receiving yards on the season. Uh, I'm just curious what you think about that aspect of it because everyone's focusing on the five-star arm talent. Uh, the, the 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 lack of obvious, you know, one, two options in this offense. But I think another thing receivers are saying, if I'm going to look for one spot to build my draft case for one year, do I want to do it here? And they might point to the stats. And I just wonder, how do you counter that if you're Penn State? I think the way they've countered it is just through outlining the utilization. That's kind of been the gist that I've gotten from wide receiver, from high school recruits who go to Penn State and they get to see these games in person and they see the way that guys like Parker Washington are used. That's the main thing. What routes are they running? You know, their snap counts. What's the routes really looking like? How versatile, you know, how many routes am I going to get the chance to run to showcase what I could do as a receiver? And I just think Mike Yurchis' offense overall is the pitch that kind of overrides the production. Because, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in stats, especially when we're talking about 17-, 18-year-old kids. You know, go look at a box score. You see Parker Washington lighting it up like he was last year. You're saying, oh, wow, I could go there. And then you compare it to this year where, you know, he's still having a good year, but it's not as prolific necessarily. Some kids can get turned off by that, but the majority don't because they see the utilization. They see the, they see scheme fit. They see it on the tape. You know, whether he's getting the ball or not, whether he's catching 100 passes or 40 passes, it doesn't matter because they feel that they're going to be put in a position to succeed, just being asked to run routes that they're comfortable running and being getting the ball in positions that they're comfortable to make plays. So I'd say that's probably the main way Penn State staff has dealt with that, and I'd say they've dealt with it pretty well. Yeah, and I think what Mike Yersich can can hang his hat on a bit now that he's been here for two for a couple seasons and we've seen him kind of deal with adversity and then work his way out of it has been, yeah, he'll lean on positions that have that kind of promise and others may not see as much uh, utilization if they don't have those players. I mean, we saw three tight ends on the field a bunch during the final yeah. stretch of the season when Parker Washington's not available. We're seeing two uh, running backs on the field together uh, with some regularity. So I, I think it's been that's something that's certainly year by year, personnel by personnel. Uh, yeah, that, that's something that, that the ebbs and flows you're going to have to manage through. And, and it, it'll be really interesting to see if they were to bring in two talented wide receivers um, you know, those guys, are they comfortable where, hey, if, if, if your tight end rooms is still a position of strength next year, you know, running back shapes up as a position of strength. I just 
you have to find the right fit. Taylor Subfield talked about that. If the guy's going to come in and say, if I don't catch 90 passes, this is going to be a failure of a season for me, that's not your right fit. If a guy is going to come in and say, I'm a missing link for what looks like an offense that can get to Indianapolis, can get to the college football playoff, and I'll play my role, and if I do my part, it's going to work out well for me, it's going to work out well for Drew, it's going to work out well for Nick, it's going to work out well for Theo, that's what you're looking for right here, Tyler. And those are the kind of dynamics, I guess, that are a little bit harder for us to get down to the nitty-gritty on, but you've done a great job tracking exactly who Penn State is trying to bring on board and, and what's feasible, what's not, and it continues to change. Let's get back out of recruiting because there, there's a little bit more of a tangible item on the table right now as we've got an offensive lineman looking for a home. He's not going to find out until February, and we're all getting a little bit of a flashback to how Penn State picked up a very important offensive lineman for its class last year in Vega Ioane by getting him on campus after Christmas and getting him to sign that first Wednesday in February. Where do they stand in the pursuit? Yeah, so Jim Ono, the four-star tackle from Dundalk in Maryland, he'll be on campus for an official visit the weekend of January 13th. Penn State's really excited about that trip because he's, he's their top offensive line target right now, and they're they're really going after him pretty hard. Phil Trotwin's work in that relationship, and he's really excited to get him on campus. The big thing with Ono is he's raw, but the, he has traits, and just he's a specimen if you really go look at his tape. He's, he's got traits that the staff likes, and they think that they can mold him into a pretty, pretty good Big Ten player. He's going to be at Michigan State and Ole Miss for official visits as well. So he's going to do Penn State first. He's going to be at Michigan State the following weekend, and then he's going to be at Ole Miss to finish up the month. And, you know, that might be somewhat of a cause for concern to some fans because they see programs like Michigan State and Ole Miss who are big spenders on the NIL front, and they're going to get cracks at him after Penn State gets its chance on with its official visit. But you got to keep in mind, Penn State has already won battles against these schools so far this cycle. They beat Elliott, they beat Michigan State for Elliott Washington and King Mack, and they beat Ole Miss for Dakar Nelson. The NIL was involved in those pitches as well. So maybe not as big of a concern as some people are making it out to be, but three visits for him on tap this month. Penn State's really excited to get him on campus, and they should be because from what I've been hearing, Ono has a pretty high level of interest in the Nittany Lions. He feels like Happy Valley is a place where he could go and be developed to get to the next level. You always know it's a late riser when we're talking about a high school senior who doesn't have a profile picture right? of 24-7 <laughs> sports. He does have a rating and a ranking, though. He's the number 28 offensive tackle, carrying a 90 rating. That puts him in four-star territory at six foot six, 270 pounds, and he would fit him pretty well with this current offensive line group. He is a reigning shot put and discus state champion uh, from the Maryland, and we know that they've got a couple really standout multi-sport athletes in this offensive line class. So, just rehashing something that I discussed with Daniel, though, the plan for Penn State initially with its offensive line class, Anthony Donko uh, remaining inside, focusing on guard, Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, you see what you've got from them at tackle to begin things, and then you work from there. Maybe they both work inside. Maybe one works inside. Maybe you get more tackle depth than you anticipated. But James Franklin still made it an emphasis to say when they're looking at priorities from a positional standpoint after signing day, he was leaning more tackle than he was guard. It was really emphasizing a perimeter addition uh, as they work toward February, whether it's a transfer portal, whether it's uh, Jim Ono, as you just talked about. And then at 2024, look, speaking of offensive linemen, they got a really good one. Cooper Cousins, he's been there for a while, but he keeps looking around and we keep getting further and further into 2022. And now we're just about done with 2022. What is the latest on top targets? You've got a story up here on a Tuesday breaking down some of the early names to know for that 2024 cycle. 
Yeah, just starting with the offensive line, since we just touched on Cousins, what better place to start than a guy that he's been recruiting pretty hard himself and Liam Andrews from Massachusetts. We've talked about Liam a lot since he made it to campus in June for the whiteout camp, just how, how he dominated that day and really forged a bond with the offensive line commits who were on campus that day. Liam's pretty quiet with his recruitment. You know, he's not really out there doing interviews a whole lot, but Penn State's on his list. We've been able to gather that. I think the Nittany Lions, if he was to announce a decision today, the Nittany Lions would be sitting in a pretty good position. I'm not saying they would be the pick, but they'd be under heavy consideration. So that's something to monitor moving forward. And then can't forget the big guy, Kevin Haywood from Archbishop Wood. Huge target for the staff, literally and figuratively. You know, yeah. a lot of interest there from Michigan and Tennessee as well. I would say Penn State has a slight edge right now, but reminder to everyone that Haywood is in no rush. He's going to make his visits. He wants this to be a very well-thought-out process. When he gets back to Penn State this winter, he wants to check in with the strength and conditioning staff and really get on the same page with them and see if he can vibe out with them there. Those are his words to me. He wants to see how that relationship comes along because he's looking at everything. He's, he's looking at the big picture in his recruitment. It's a really thorough process for him. Then elsewhere, skill guys starts and ends with Quentin Martin, right? You know, the big dog in Pennsylvania for this cycle, arguably one of the best players in this class at this point. Guy who profiles as a running back, at the, that's the position that he wants to play. Penn State, Ohio State, heavily involved there. That's going to be a pretty fierce battle. Wide receiver Keelan Adams from Virginia, guy the Penn State staff really likes. He was on campus for the Ohio State game in late October. You know, we just talked about wide receiver utilization. And he saw that that day. He liked the way Parker Washington was used. He told Brian Dome that. So he Penn State's high on him. He's high on Penn State. That's going to be an interesting one to monitor moving forward. Then at quarterback, the Florida State commit, Luke Krumlinick from Georgia. Penn State really, really likes this kid. So Mike Gertz went down to Georgia twice in a week span the, earlier this month to check in with him. They went really hard after him in October to get him on campus for the whiteout game and succeeded doing large part because the staff went down there during its bye week and pushed him really hard to get him on campus. It's become very clear that he's their top guy at the position right now. They really want to move him off that Florida state commitment. And I think they're, they're pretty much showing that they're going to do anything in their power to make that happen. So we'll see where that recruitment goes as the spring, as the winter and spring progress. We'll see if he makes it back to campus, but that's the top guy on that quarterback board right now, for sure. And then at tight end Midwest Brady Priestcorn. He's high on Michigan, but Michigan has already taken a tight end. So we got that's a very interesting dynamic there. Is Michigan to take another one? We'll see. If not, I'd say Penn State's in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I, I keep going back to what we saw from Liam Andrews at Penn State's prospect camp this summer when he was sharing the field with all the commits we just mentioned. Now they're signees that we just mentioned from that 2023 yeah. class, and Cooper Cousins was out there as well. I, I don't know that there was anyone better, at least for those few hours, than Liam Andrews, um, you know, who, who still has a whole other year of, of high school ahead of him. Um, and, and he's a guy that if you can lock down and, and stack that class with someone like Liam Andrews and the Cooper Cousins, you're really working on something special if you're Phil Troutwine. And just going back to that quarterback spot, uh, Luke Cromenhoke, uh, number nine quarterback in 24-7 sports assessment. He's now inside that top 100 overall at 95 out of the Benedictine Military School in Savannah, Georgia. So he got up to campus, like you said. That was a notable uh, – and, and now you're reciprocating that and saying, hey, we'll visit you too. And uh, when he got the offensive coordinator making the effort there, I think that's, as you said, a strong message. It's a little bit different now. They're not recruiting a quarterback fresh off signing Drew Aller. Um, a lot of respect to to Jackson Smolik, who we just had on this podcast not too long ago. But people are, you know, these quarterbacks who are recruiting, it's not going to be the same deal following Smolik versus following 
Drew Aller. I think any quarterback knew that name, Aller. Um, so curious to see what Mike Yersis can do with the opportunity with 2024. They don't have a lot of numbers in the quarterback room right now. Maybe you address it with a couple guys. Uh, it might be a decision that they have to make as the cycle progresses. Uh, and Tyler, wrapping up here, uh, I know there's a lot to get to um, as we are covering this thing out in Los Angeles and the Rose Bowl. As things pop, you'll take care of it at lines247.com. We managed to balance the game coverage with recruiting coverage like we did all season. But what are you looking forward to here in the next week or so? Because I know a lot of our content at the site is going to be driven by the Rose Bowl. What do people need to make sure they're keeping an eye out for that you've got cooking here as we kind of transition that lens toward 2024 and we get a little bit more distance between signing day and where we are now? I don't want to say I'll be putting a bow on the 2023 class because, I mean, we just talked about a kid taking an official visit from the class. So clearly it's not done. But right. I, I think we'll be doing a little bit of a wrap up there just because most of the work is complete. That's just the reality of the situation. And then, you know, we're really diving headfirst in the 2024 stuff. You know, to this morning we had an early look at the top guys on offense. Tomorrow looking to have an early look at the top guys on defense. We're just going to be diving into those position-by-position position boards, get into the nitty-gritty of who Penn State wants to join Cooper Cousins in that class. All right, Tyler, we're looking ahead to that coverage. We'll have you here on the podcast again soon. I'm glad you had a good holiday weekend. We'll catch up with you real soon, and you hold it down for us here on the chilly East Coast, would you? I'll do my best, man. It's a big responsibility you guys are leaving me with. <laughs> All right, take care. As we said, Daniel and I out to Los Angeles on Wednesday. We'll be joining Team Brennan. They've been out there uh, since late Christmas night. So we are underway with our Rose Bowl coverage leading up to that kickoff next Monday. We'll be back with a couple more podcasts between now and then. We'll have a post-game podcast up to recap everything we experienced out in Pasadena. Uh, so stay with us at lions247.com. We've still got our 50% off deal going through the end of this month. Great opportunity to jump on board for VIP coverage throughout 2023. Get a bunch of perks that come only with this VIP membership as well. Uh, so that's up at the site. Big thanks to my colleagues, uh, Daniel Gallen and Tyler Calvaruzzo. Shout out to Mark and Grace Brennan for getting it done early on the road out at the Rose Bowl. Uh, photos up from Penn State's arrival out in Los Angeles at the site already. We'll talk to you real soon on the next Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue.